بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحم نسلی اللہ رسول اما بات الحمد للہ چنائٹ از دا تھرٹیتھ آف ڈسمبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی ٹو الحمد للہ وی موڈ آن ٹو دا of the illustrious companion, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu. And I'm on the subsection in which we're taking a glimpse into his education as given by our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So like I mentioned, he would not only serve the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in his sacred chamber, but also during his travels. In Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim, Anas radiyallahu he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would go to relieve himself and I and another young boy would carry a leather water skin of water and a spear and he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would then wash his private part with that water. So in this flawless report, Anas clearly said that he was serving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he was during a journey and he was looking after his wudu i.e. the water for his istinja and wudu and there was another youngster he mentioned who also was helping him those on occasions Anas radiyallahu would carry the wudu water and sutra for our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa during his various journeys so the next section entitled Ya Bunaya O my beloved son So indeed our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam out of a deep love and affection would often address his young cousin Sayyidina Anas as Ya Bunaya O my beloved son. So what is the significance of that? This phrase can only be truly appreciated when one realizes that this same blessed phrase was used by the Holy Prophet Ibrahim and Luqman when addressing their noble sons. So where is this mentioned? Ibrahim addressed his young beloved son Ismail thus in Surah As-Safat, Surah 37, verse 102. Qala ya bunayya, he said, O my beloved son, And Luqman salam, addressed his noble young son similarly in Surah Luqman salam, Surah 31, verse 13, verse 16 and verse 17. Ya Bunaya, O oh my beloved son. So now think about that. Ibrahim salam, addressed his flesh and blood, his eldest son, by Ya Bunaya. Luqman salam, addressed his noble son with that affectionate title, Ya Bunaya, is in the Qur'an. Dost mm-hmm. Subhanallah, our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam addressed Anas with the same blessed phrase, shows just how much he loved and appreciated him. So think about that. So it's hard to translate, but Bunaya is a term of endearment. It means young beloved son. Ya Bunaya. But the fact that the Quran mentions it shows that this is a very endearing term. So was Anas the son of the Prophet? No, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. 
but he addressed him like his son. So to give examples, in Tirmidhi number 2678, Mishkat number 175, Hayat al-Sahaba volume 1 page 64 of the New English Translation, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah mentions there's a weakness in his Da'if al-Jami number 6389. Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu he said, Rasulullah once said to me, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Bunayya, O my beloved son, if you are capable of waking up in the morning and reaching the evening without allowing your heart to debase others, then do so. O my beloved son, that is indeed from my sunnah. And whoever revives my sunnah has truly loved me. And whoever loves me shall be with me in paradise. Subhanallah. So this is actually quite a famous report. And notice how the Prophet is addressing Anas sallallahu alayhi wa goes, Ya Bunayya. And then he mentioned the sunnah. And this sunnah is not an easy sunnah to acquire. But he told Anas if you can wake up in the morning and reach the evening without letting your heart look down upon others. He goes, do it. He goes, this is my sunnah. And then he mentioned the great glad tidings. Whoever revives my sunnah loves me. Meaning whichever sunnah you can imbibe, that's a sign of love. The Prophet said it's said, And whoever loves me shall be with me in paradise. Look at the status of the sunnah. So to be with the Prophet in paradise means you will be in the highest garden. So note who was being addressed here, Anas. So consider the following touching report. Did Anas imbibe this quality? In Abdul Razak, Kanzal Umal, volume 7, page 94, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 523 of the New English Translation, Salih ibn Qadz, rahmatullahi, he said, I once brought before Hakam ibn Ayyub, the governor at the time, a slave girl of mine who had fornicated. I was sitting there when lo, Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik arrived, and he sat down by my side. He thereupon asked, O Salih, who is this slave girl with you? I replied, she is my slave girl who fornicated and I thus now wish to have her case brought before the governor so that she may be punished. Anas radiyallahu said, do not do this. Rather take your slave girl back home. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and hide her error. When I refused to do this, he repeated, do not proceed, do as I say. He continued insisting until I eventually took her back. <laughs> so think about this. A man's maidservant has committed fornication. So obviously there's a hudud. So the man wants to take it to the authorities. Anas gets involved. What did he say? He goes, don't do it. He goes, hide her failing. And what's interesting, initially the man, he said, I'm going to take her to the, I'm going to bring it to the attention. And he kept saying, don't do it. Eventually, he took the maidservant back. So why was Anas doing that? Because what did the Prophet tell him? He said, he goes, don't, Allow your heart to debase others. Mm. 
So who do people naturally look down upon? Sinners. So Anas was had reached such a high level, he was fit, he was encouraging others to overlook the major slips of others. Amongst the virtues of this sublime deed, Uqba ibn Amr radiyallahu relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa whoever conceals a fault is then just like the one who was brought back to life, the one who has been buried alive. Whoever conceals a fault is then just like the one who was brought back to life, the one who has been buried alive. This is in Nasai Abu Dawood Ibn Hiban, Targheed, Volume 4, page 17, Hayat al-Sahaba, Volume 3, page 524 of the New English Translation. So, what does that mean? It means you notice a failing. Allah Ta'ala exposes a failing of a, of a Muslim and you hide it. That is so rewarding, it's like you've brought somebody back to life. You've given life to somebody. In fact, in an even more amazing report in Abd ibn Humayt, the Prophet said, whoever covers the failings of others, his reward is paradise. So the Prophet didn't even mince his words because that is such an awesome deed. So how do you get that quality? If a person is exposed, naturally you're thinking, what, what? why is he committing that sin? But he's doing it secretly. Why are you exposing him? So you hide it and you take it with you into the grave and that is your insurance policy of inshallah going to paradise. In addition, one also notices that such people who hide the failings of others, they have the brightest faces. In Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, volume 3, page 102, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 537 of the New English Translation, Zayd ibn Aslam, rahmatullahi he said, People went to visit Sayyidina Abu Dujana, radiyallahu, during his illness, and his face was always shining and radiant. When he was asked the reason for his radiant face, he replied, There are two deeds that I have the most reliance upon. The first is that I never speak unnecessarily. And the second is my heart is always clear towards all Muslims. So let's look at this. So this is recorded in Ibn Sa'ad in Istabakat, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 537 of the New English Translation. So like I mentioned, who's Abu Dajana? He was the famous companion at Uhud who took the sword of the Prophet and he fulfilled the rites of the sword. He put a red bandana upon his blessed head called the bandana of death and he was ultimately martyred in the battle of Yamama. But on this occasion he's ill. But when a person's ill, you notice his face normally goes pale. But his face was still shining. So they asked him, he goes, what's the cause of this? And he gave two reasons. He goes, I don't speak unless I have to. And my heart is always clear towards Muslims. So notice again that quality which the Prophet was encouraging Anas to have. And similarly, the people were once insulting an individual for committing a particular sin. And Abu Dardar intervened and he said, Do not insult your brother. Rather thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for safeguarding you from it. The people thereupon inquired, don't you hate him? I for what he's done. He replied, I only hate the sin. When he leaves it, he is again my brother. This is in Ibn Asakir, 
Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, volume 1, page 225, Kanzul Omal, volume 2, page 174, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 3, page 534 of the New English Translation. So look how interesting. This person's committed a crime, the people are surrounding him. And then look what Abu Darda told the people. Don't insult your brother, you should be in gratitude. <laughs> now think about that. If you see a person who's being told off for committing a sin, are we in a state of gratitude? How many people? Count them on your hands. Because you should be in gratitude that you're saved from it. So they were thinking, well, don't you hate him? Look at the crime he's committed. And he came out with that saying, which the Christians propagate, sadly. Muslims are asleep. He goes, I only hate the sin. When he leaves it, he is again my brother. Meaning he's not committing the sin now. So why are you hating him? So the hatred is not for the Muslim. Never. Allah Ta'ala loves the Muslim. Where's the proof? In Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu he said, Allah Ta'ala only gives iman to the one he loves. He gives wealth to people he loves and people he doesn't love. He gives health to people he loves and he doesn't love, but he only gives iman to people he loves. So now, if Allah Ta'ala loves somebody and you hate him, isn't there a problem there? <laughs> Think about that. If somebody goes to you, Allah Ta'ala loves this chair and you go, I've got a problem with it. The problem now is with you. But then a person goes, yeah, but Muslims commit sins. You don't mix the sin with the Muslim. If he commits the sin, you only hate the sin. Once he stops, you say, look, we only hate the sin. We got nothing against you. But unfortunately, a lot of Muslims don't understand the difference. Because we hate that person. Because why? And he mentioned a sin. Because he's not committing it now. Because I still hate him. He goes, no, that's not Islam. Those, when one sees a brother or sister indulging in a sin, one should first thank the Almighty and Glorious for saving oneself from it. Secondly, supplicate that he takes them away from it. And thirdly, all the while, only hating the sin, not the sinner. Mm-hmm. So let's say that again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, people don't talk about the heart. They're talking about outward deeds. Mm-hmm. So when you see a brother or sister committing a sin, you got to do three things. The first is you thank Allah Ta'ala for saving you from it. So if a person's fornicating, taking drugs, you say, Alhamdulillah, Allah Ta'ala, you've saved me from this. Then you make a dua that Allah Ta'ala takes that person away from it. And thirdly, you only hate the sin. Not him or her. So how many of those boxes do we tick? Astaghfirullah. <laughs> this is why, in fact, if you look at Allah the Almighty and Glorious is another level. The scholars state Allah Ta'ala loves the Muslim even when he commits the sin. So why is that interesting? Because that should wean you of sin. Because when you're sinning, you feel shame. You're thinking, okay, the whole world, nobody's seeing this except you. But then you start thinking, why not let the whole world see it instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Then a person goes, yeah, but I can't hide from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the answer is, yes, you can't. But then you say to yourself, Allah ta'ala still loves me when I'm committing the sin. Then you go into even more sharam. You start thinking, this is disgusting now. And that's how a person is weaned of it. Unfortunately, people don't mention that. The hadith is in Imam Malik's Muwatta. The Sahaba said, Allah ta'ala and his messenger are more kind to us than even ourselves. 
So the Sahaba told that directly to the Prophet The Prophet didn't correct it. So how kind are you to yourself? And somebody goes, Allah and his message is more kind to you than even yourself. You know, subhanAllah. Anas he said, in Tirmidhi, Tahawi, Bukhari's Aladaban Mufrad, number 809, I was a servant of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and I used to enter his chambers without first asking permission. However, one day I came and he said, Ya Bunayya, as you were, something has happened since you were last here. Now before you enter, you must first ask permission to do so. So what's happened? Look at his intimacy with the Prophet He just entered the chambers. So you could argue he was a child. So no problem, mashallah. Whatever the case, how many companions had that honor? Just walk into the chambers. Then all of a sudden, look how interesting, the Prophet said, Ya Bunayya, O my beloved son, as you were, since you last was here, something's happened, now you have to ask permission. So what's happened, revelation? He goes, now you have to give salam, enter before before you ask, enter before, to ask before you enter. One can see that before this revelation, Anas would treat the sacred household of Rasulullah just like his own. So now, what happened? This report doesn't give you details. So, this report So the hadith is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari Sayyid Muslim Nasai Tirmidhi Bukhari's Allah Dabal Mufrad number 1055 Anas he relates so that's the reference but I'm going to add details within the hadith so Anas he said I am the most knowledgeable of all the people on the matter of hijab the first revelation on it occurred when Rasulullah married وسلم, Zainab bin Jahsh. He went to her as a groom and invited the people to the ceremony and later to join him in a wedding feast. To stop the report. So what's very interesting is Anas mentioned something about this. He goes, I am the most knowledgeable of all people on hijab. Now think about that. Not a female. <laughs> He's I'm the most knowledgeable. And he went on to explain why, because he was the first to hear the verses. And then he mentioned it was to do with the marriage of Zainab bin Jahash. And then when the Prophet invited the people for the Walima. So now adding details, another report. In Sayyid Bukhari, Nasai, Ibn Kathir, Tafsir, Volume 8, page 25 of the English translation, Fatal Badi, 8-388, Hayat al-Sahaba, Volume 4, page 281-2 of the New English translation. And I said, Radiyallah, to celebrate his marriage to Zainab bin Jahsh, Rasulullah hosted a meal of bread and meat. I was thereupon sent to invite the people to the meal. And as they arrived, they ate and thereupon left. When I could find no one else to invite, I said, Ya Rasulullah, I cannot find anyone else to invite. So this adds details. So what was the walima? It was bread and meat. So this is sunnah. Bread and meat. And at that time it wasn't common. 
And then he invited so many people because there's nobody else I can invite, Ya Rasulullah. That allowed it. Going back to the main report. So they ate and went away. However, a group remained with the Prophet, meaning some ate the meat and the bread and they left, but they soon remained. So are in details. In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Nasa'i Tirmidhi Ibn Abi Hatim Ibn Jarir, Al-Bidaya, volume 4, page 146, Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 283-4 of the New English Translation, Ahmad in his Musnad, volume 3, page 105, Sahih to the criteria of the two sheikhs with a prestigious short chain with just two narrators, Muhammad Ibn Abu Adi and Humayd At-Tawil between Imam Ahmad and Anas, related similar. So this is an addition. Anas said, Radiyallahu, some of the men remained sitting and talking in the messenger of Allah's chamber, sallallahu alayhi wa whilst his wife had to sit with her face towards the wall. So Zainab bin Jahsh, her back was turned to them and she was looking at the wall and they were still sitting. When they prolonged their discussion, it became very inconvenient for Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa but he was an extremely bashful person and thus did not tell them to leave. Indeed, had they known about this, it would have been difficult for them to continue sitting. <laughs> so this is another report which has details. So what's happened? The Prophet was obviously troubled by this. But because of his bashfulness, Abu Sayyid al-Khudri said in Sayyid Bukhari, he was more bashful than a virgin in a tent. <laughs> this was the natural you know, quality of the Prophet But Anas said if they had known, they would have gone. <laughs> They don't find fault with the Sahaba. In other words, they didn't have that knowledge. Going back to the main report. When a considerable amount of time had passed, the Prophet suddenly stood up and left. Look how interesting. Didn't say anything to them. Stayed for a while. They're still sitting. So he stands up and he leaves. I also left so that others would get up and leave. <laughs> so Anas goes, I got up. You know, some people get up to get draw attention. He did it. So imagine he probably stretched. As if he was like, you know, making people aware. He was hoping that they would get the message. Mm. Then the Prophet began walking, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I also walked until he reached the threshold of Aisha's chamber. Mm. So adding detail. In Sayyid Bukhari, Nasai Ibn Kathir Stavsir, volume 8, page 25 of the English translation. Fat al-Bari, 8-3-8, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 4, page 281-2 of the New English translation. Anas said, Rasulullah left the room and went to the chamber of Aisha. He then <coughs> greeted her with the following words. As-salamu alaykum ahlal bayt wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be upon you, O august members of the family and the mercy of Allah and his blessings. She replied, and the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. She then asked, how did you find your wife? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. He thereupon went to each of his wife's chambers and he greeted them as he had greeted Aisha and they replied just as she had. So now let's look at this. When he went to every one of his blessed wife's chambers, how did he give the salam? So when people say are oh, the wives of the Prophet Ahl al-Bayt, the Rawaf would say no. <laughs> and then you say, why are they a family of the Prophet? Because there's no proof. 
and they hope that you don't know. So obviously we're living in cloud cuckoo land, so we don't know left from right. It's in Bukhari Sharif. Where's the proof? Right here. Right? Every wife. He didn't go to one of his wives. And then the others just kept salam. Salam alaikum. But Aisha. Ahlul Bayt. He goes, Assalamu alaikum ahlul Bayt wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So here's the proof. Every one of his wives. And they all responded just like Aisha. Going back to the main report. When he taught his guests, so think about it. How long does that take? He's gone to, you know, how many of his blessed wives at the time? I don't know the number. But it must have took quite a bit of time. When he thought his guest had left, he turned back and I followed. So that he could go to Zainab. But they were still sitting. So imagine he's gone to all his holy wives. Comes back. He went out again. Look at his bashfulness. And I also went out. Until we reached the threshold of Isis chamber. And he thought... Now that they had left, those we returned and they had now left. <laughs> Thereupon the Prophet drew a curtain between us and the revelation of the hijab descended. Said Anas. <laughs> so which wife was honored above others? Aisha. She got two visits. <laughs> then the Prophet went back. So even that's significant. And he went back and finally they had left. So what did Anas say at the end? He goes, then the curtain was drawn, meaning I couldn't enter. And the revelation of the hijab came down. So what did he say at the beginning of the report in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim? He said, I am the most knowledgeable of all the people on the matter of hijab. And notice again the bashfulness of the Prophet But like I said, you shouldn't find fault with the companions of the Prophet because obviously that was maybe their culture at the time. So all I mentioned today, was now again talking about the education of Sayyidina Anas, but specifically where our beloved messenger affectionately called him Ya Bunayya. And this is an immense honor for Sayyidina Anas. Which other companion has that honor? Where the Prophet said Ya Bunayya, apart from his own obviously illustrious grandsons, is Anas. I can't think of anybody else who was given that honor by the Prophet so note how dear and beloved he was to the Prophet. He called him with the same phrase that Ibrahim called his son Ismail. <laughs> the same phrase that Luqman called his son. So this shows how beloved he was to our beloved messenger. <laughs> Are there any questions you like to ask? Subhanallah, <laughs> <laughs>